0: Sometimes I don't want us to clap, but sometimes you just got to clap. That's a hosanna anthem. I'll tell you, I felt like I was a wash in a sea of purple sitting up here in the front row. It was uh, glorious and very close. Um, thank you very much. For all of that, if I would like to add my entreaties to those of my beloved colleague, Pastor Larry, regarding Easter, there are three services: eight, nine thirty, and eleven on Sunday morning. In addition to our six thirty Saturday night Easter, we'll call it a vigil. Um, guess which one on Sunday I would like for you to attend. Exactly. So if I could, I would kneel down in front of each of you and beg you one at a time, would you please come at 8 o'clock and would you please work at 9.30? Remember, this is your church, not my church. This is the Lord's church first, and then it's your church. We are the hosts of the guests, and we're going to have two thousand more guests here. We need your help, so would you please come at eight o'clock, bring someone along with you, and then uh, then serve us at nine thirty and or the the second the service after that. So that would be terrific. If you uh, are wondering, Pastor Ellis isn't with us to, to this weekend because he's down in Portland serving a church down there. We are part of a denomination, the EPC, and one of the things that means being a part of a denomination is when there people that need help when there are churches that need help, you step up to it. And one of our churches, our sister churches, is going through a hard time, a loss of a pastor, and so I assigned Ellis to make his way down to Portland, and he's preaching this morning. So keep him in your prayers, that the encouragement that comes from their sister congregation through the voice of their young pastor would be a blessing to this church that's in some struggle. So today we are wrapping up our sermon series on spiritual warfare I've been really pretty astounded at the response to this. Honestly, I engaged in this with a little fear and trepidation. I felt it was what the Lord wanted uh, wanted me to do, wanted us to do. But still, that's, we're stepping into some waters that uh, were a little new to us. I've been astounded by the response. It has really captivated you. I've heard people really engaging in this and I think we're going to be a better church for it. I think we're going to be a better kingdom people uh, because of it. If you're new to us this morning, just a reminder of some of the things that we've talked about. First of all, I'd point out that everything we've talked about is really based in Scripture. Everything we preach on should be based in Scripture. Otherwise, what's the point, right? So we start with a basing in Scripture so that we can understand that it's there, and if you take the Scripture seriously, then you're going to have to grapple with this stuff that may be new to you. And we talked about the fact that we live in a world that's kind of an overlap between the physical and the spiritual world. And that although we uh, are, uh, uh, inhabit that world, it is also inhabited by spiritual beings. Some of those spiritual beings are nasty. They're not nice and they are headed up by the chief spiritual thug whose name is Satan or the devil. The good news is we don't need to be afraid of him because he has been defeated by Jesus. His death on the cross which we are celebrating this week. His resurrection from that death that in that he has defeated this spiritual enemy that we have called the devil. Uh, the, the war has been won but like a, a rattlesnake whose head has been chopped off. He's dead, but he can still bite, right? If you've seen that in, on TV, they can still inflict damage. And so he is not going out without a fight, which explains all of the evil that we still find around us. And so one of the most astounding things for many believers and, and new news for many Christians is this, that not only has Christ won the battle, he has conferred on us His spiritual authority to continue to carry out warfare against this enemy of our souls. The one who wants to kill and steal and destroy. The one who wants to keep others from coming to Christ. And those who have come to Christ, he wants to keep them ineffective. So we are talking about what it means to work, to function in the spiritual authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And then last week, Pastor Ellis preached about footholds remember the word topos uh, a place where the enemy can get we we belong to God if we are Christians and and if you're not a Christian I'm not I'm not speaking to you although you're welcome to listen in but but if you are in Christ if you have received Christ his Holy Spirit it lives in you then then you are already gods you've been bought and paid for with a, a price But one of the things that the Bible teaches us is even those who belong to the Lord Jesus, there are ways that the enemy can get a foothold in their lives. They can paralyze them. They can render their witness less and less effective. And so one of the things that we want to talk about is how then do we diminish that power? How do we minimize the impact of Satan? How do we close those doors so that they can't get in? He talked about that with really a very disgusting illustration. Remember the illustration that Ellis shared last week? It made me sick just listening to it of a a dog that got sick in the middle of the night and, and an automatic vacuum cleaner that spread the joy all over the floor. And for you Facebook fans, I I will just tell you that yes, the answer is that really did happen to Ellis last week. On the morning he's preaching, he's down cleaning up the caca, and uh, if that doesn't prove there's a devil, I don't know what would prove that there is a devil. So I want to complete uh, our series today by talking about a battle plan for how we deal with these satanic footholds that, that the enemy wants to get in our life. A pastor friend of mine, Mike Riches, uh, has written a book I found very helpful. He serves right down the street, and I want to acknowledge uh, his contribution to what I'm going to be sharing with you. Uh, It'll be a little different. You'll find in the bulletin on the inside page uh, some room for you to take notes. I think this is important enough that I would love for you to capture the uh, the five points that I'm going to make. I would like to have you write them down, take them home, Take a look at the scriptures that accompany them to be sure that what I'm saying really is scriptural. You're always welcome to test me on that, uh, and I hope you'll find it consistently to be the case. And, uh, and then let's see this week how we are doing in each of these areas. So this is how we are going to conclude our series. Our text for uh, the morning comes from 1 Peter. We remember, of course, that Paul writes a lot about spiritual warfare. Jesus himself carries out spiritual warfare. But today I want to hear from two of the really important apostles. Peter, who was the chief of the apostles, and and his compatriot James. And both of them address the same issues too. So you're listening to a universally consistent voice from the apostolic witness of the church. And Peter uh, has these things to say to these Christians who were in exile, uh, who were uh, fleeing persecution at the time. Here's what Peter had to say. First, Peter Chapter 5, verses 6 and following. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you please be present this day, so that these words that I speak will be your words, and that they will be transformative, not only in our minds as we are renewed, but in our hearts as our minds or attitudes are changed. Make us more effective soldiers for Jesus, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw a horrific uh, news account that came out of Indonesia this week. I wonder if any of you saw it. Uh, The account was this. A a young 25-year-old man named Akbar was swallowed whole by a reticulated python. Um, The the bite marks, it was a 23-foot snake. And the bite mark suggests that the snake attacked him from behind while he was out harvesting palm oil in his field. It's, you know, I don't care how you feel about snakes, that would be an awful way to die. It, wouldn't it? To be, to be stalked and to be ambushed by a deadly predator. What a horrible way to go. But that's exactly the language that, that Peter uses to describe our a battle with the enemy of our soul, isn't it? He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, seeking someone to devour. He's prowling around. He's sniffing around. He's sneaking around looking for the person that is vulnerable, cutting them off from the herd. Now, none of us want to end up as lion food and we certainly don't want those that are dear to us, are precious to us to end up that way. So how can we then protect ourselves against this kind of a sneaky predator, spiritual predator? And I want to give you five ideas that you can write down, okay? Here's the first one. The first one is resist. Say resist. After... Peter presents to us this image of a roaring lion. He follows with a a simple two-word command. He says, resist him. Resist him. Face him down. Fight back. You know, I wonder if Peter and his buddy James didn't sit down and compare notes occasionally over the fire. Because when you turn to James's letter... Chapter 4, verse 7, you hear almost exactly the same kinds of ideas. James writes, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, there it is again, and he will flee from you. And so the first and essential step for us, if we're going to be effective in our spiritual warfare, is that we would resist the devil. And I would ask you to consider, what are your options turn tail and run, stick your head in the sand and pretend he's not there, cross your fingers and hope for the best. Most Christians, frankly, live in denial when it comes to the matter of spiritual warfare. Even if we believe there's a real enemy to our soul, even if we believe that there is spiritual activity at work, even if we can recognize in our life or in the lives of others that there seems to be a particularly pernicious, unremitting kind of spiritual attack upon them, still, we would rather deny it. We would rather avoid it than we would to confront it or face it. And Peter says, don't do it. Don't you dare do it. When you encounter the devil in all of his nastiness, no matter how intimidating he might be, no matter how loudly he might growl at you, stand up to him. Resist him. Pastor Larry preached a couple of weeks ago on the armor of God. And I I want to call your attention to something that he said that's really very important. The armor of God only protects you in the front. The armor of God only protects you in the front, which means as long as you're facing your enemy, as long as you're advancing on your enemy, then you're going to be fine. It's when you turn tail and run that you are more vulnerable, like poor Akbar, who was brought down from behind. That's not going to happen if you learn to courageously face the devil. And by the way, do you know what happens when we do resist the devil? It's the same thing that happens most of the time when we face any bully. What do they do when you stand up to bullies, typically? They run away. That's exactly what James says will happen. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Palm Sunday, it strikes me, is a perfect illustration of this point. Jesus could have stayed up in Galilee where he was safe, where he was popular, but he knew that the devil was prowling and growling down in Jerusalem. And so he makes his way down to Jerusalem to take him on. And when we have this image of Jesus riding in on the donkey, it's kind of a sweet, uh, a sweet image of this processional. But as a matter of fact, it was a declaration of war on Jesus' part. Because this was messianic psalm stuff. The people of the time would have known exactly what he was saying. This guy has come to fight. This is the Messiah, and he has come to take on the enemy of our soul. They knew exactly what it was. When Jesus marched his way down Olivet and right up into the temple square, he said, all right, bring it on. And Jesus said, you've got to be ready to do the same. He calls us to be ready, to stand strong, to resist the devil. So that's the first R. One more time, say, resist. The second is, repent. Say, Repent. I want to take a little bit more from James. We go down a little further in that passage of James 4. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Listen to that language. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, last week, uh, Ellis uh, uh, pointed out that one of the ways that the devil gets a foothold in our lives is through unrepentant sin. And I'm not talking about the occasional predictable screw-up that comes because we are still human. We are still flesh persons. I'm talking about the person who habitually returns, like the dog to his vomit, who habitually returns to the same behaviors, the same activities that put you in a spiritual tailspin out of which you cannot escape. So they return again to the porn site. They return again to the, the gambling site. Return again to the bottle or to the bed of the person, not your spouse, or to your fits of rage or to your destructive eating habits. All of those, you must see, are spiritual footholds for the enemy. And every time you return, you imprint upon your soul the behavior that makes the devil's stronghold there more impregnable. And and Peter and others in the scriptures would say the same thing. The only way out of that is for you to repent. The word repent is metanoia. Metanoia in the Old Testament. And literally, this is what metanoia means that's metanoia. You're walking one direction, you stop. You turn around and you go the other way. We catch a flavor of it when James says, draw near to God. Because if you're walking away from God in behavior, in practice that's destructive, the only way that you're drawing near to God is to stop going that way, turn around and come the other direction. Repent. It's saying, I'm sorry God, I need your help. I don't want to give the enemy a foothold in my life. I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm going to turn around and come the other way. Last week after Ellis' message, there was one man who heard the the account and it convicted him. You see, he has been uh, involved in non-Christian occultic spiritual practices. He had in his possession some spiritual tokens, some emblems that were part of that faith. And the man, as he listened to the way that these can give footholds, Uh, In your life, he went home and collected all of those tokens. He brought them back to the church that night, found one of the prayer partners who was still there, and said, Will you help me burn these up? Because I want to break the bond with this past. That is repentance. That is a change of heart, a change of direction. I want to remind us that repentance and forgiveness is a centerpiece of the Lord's prayer, right? Do you remember back that far? Forgive us our forgive us our debts and do you see also that it is a two-way street. What's the rest of the phrase? As Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, Lord, even as I confess my sin to you, repent, turn back to you, come near to you, and receive your forgiveness, I understand that I will only experience that forgiveness to the degree that I am willing to forgive the one who has offended me, who has abused me, who has hurt me. And here I'm going to say something that for some of you will be the hardest thing of all, perhaps, to hear. Unforgiveness is one of the strongest footholds the devil can have in your life. Unforgiveness is one of the strongest footholds the devil can have in your life. If if someone has harmed you or offended you or abused you and you have not been able to release that through forgiveness, then Satan has a foothold in your life. Now, I'm not saying you should continue on in that abusive behavior. I'm not saying that your pain is not real I'm not saying that the person who has so offended you ought not to receive justice, that justice should be done. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is that until you can truly forgive, even the most grievous offenses against you, Satan still has you in his jaws. So we need to resist, we need to repent, and we need to rebuke. Say rebuke. I'm repeating myself here, but uh, it is an important point, and I need to come back to it. Um, one of the most important weapons in spiritual warfare, one of the ways that we resist the devil is by short verbal commands spoken to Satan. And, and I would remind you, these need to be what? Audible, Audible out loud. Why? Because the devil and his spirits cannot read our minds. They don't, they don't know what we're saying. The way that we take authority in the name of Jesus is to speak out loud to those spirits that we want to de- command to leave us alone. And we learn this from Jesus, remember. Again, all of this is based in the ministry and life and teachings of Jesus and his apostles. We saw it in Jesus' treatment of the demonically possessed people, the exorcisms that were such a big part of his ministry. We even see it at the very first encounter with the devil, which took place in the wilderness when Jesus was being tempted. The, if you recall, the only words that Jesus spoke that weren't right out of Scripture were these words, "Begone, Satan. Begone, Satan. And shortly after that, that was the end of it. And, and and the response of the devil was, by the way, we read, and the devil left him. It's just as James said, what happened? When you resist the devil, when you rebuke the devil, he will flee. If Christians could simply add these three words to our spiritual vocabulary. If when we discern that there's something spiritual going on in the life of ourselves or others, if we could just have the courage. I mean, we might pray about it, but if we could have the courage to pause and to speak those words, Be gone Satan. In the name of Jesus, be gone Satan. I don't know that we really understand the the added power that that would bring to our spiritual lives. Resist, repent, repent. Rebuke and receive. And again I repeat myself and again it's because it's so important. We need to learn when we rebuke the enemy when he leaves we need to immediately receive the refilling of the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus teaches this. In Matthew 12, he talks about how when you chase an unclean spirit away, if he returns and finds the place still empty, he will not only come back, he'll bring seven of his thuggish friends along with him. Jesus says you need to fill that place with the Holy Spirit. This combination, this, the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a potent recipe for spiritual victory. We do not have any authority except the authority that has been conferred upon us by Jesus Christ in his name. And we do not have any power except for the power that the Holy Spirit confers on us by indwelling us. The two words that we learned this this season were exousia and dunamis. Exousia is power, uh, is authority. Dunamis is dynamite, it's power. And in the name of Jesus and in the power of his Holy Spirit, we have both of those things. And please, let's not get into an argument about the second baptism of the Holy Spirit as some uh, churches love to fight about, whether there's only one filling of the Holy Spirit or the second filling of the Holy Spirit. Please, let's not go there. When Paul wrote the Ephesians, he said, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would you want to stop with one or two? Why would you not want a third, a fourth, a fifth, a daily encounter of the Holy Spirit? And why do we need another infilling of the Holy Spirit? Why? I've told you this before. Because we, we leak. We leak. We're like the pathetic helium balloons that have hung around for five days and suddenly they look like this, all wrinkled and saggy and pathetic. We leak. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us up again. I'm a spiritual guardian for several boys, and, uh, and I pray the same thing for each of those boys every morning. Lord, please, will you fill Reed with your Holy Spirit? Will you fill Ezra with your Holy Spirit? Will you fill Walker with your Holy Spirit? Will you fill Alex with your Holy Spirit? Will you fill Cooper with your Holy Spirit? Every time you engage in spiritual warfare, you should gird yourself with a prayer that the Holy Spirit will fill you, will empower you, will grant you gifts of discernment and faith and courage, and will fill all the empty places left when the unclean spirits flee at the word of Christ. So resist, repent, rebuke, receive, and then finally, renew. This is new for us. We haven't talked about this yet, but in In several writings, we read of the importance of of being renewed. Listen to what he says to the Ephesians. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. He said something similar when he wrote to the Romans, in a very familiar passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. So in both of those passages, we discover that the key to becoming the persons God created us to be, the key to becoming the person that Christ has redeemed us to be, to being transformed to the point where the devil has fewer and fewer footholds in our life is right here. It's in the renewal of our minds. Our battle is won here. We have got to overcome stinking thinking. And stinking thinking shows up in all kinds of ways. It's stinking thinking when we continue to basically pronounce curses over our own life. When we say things like, I am not loved, I am not worthy, I am stupid, I'll never amount to anything. That is stinking thinking. Stinking thinking is the, is the kind of patterns where we go back and do the same destructive stuff and the and the same self-destructive thoughts that have kept us all these years in despair or anxiety or unforgiveness or depression. And we must learn to allow the Spirit to change our minds, to renew our minds. So I would ask this: what is the key to the renewal of our minds? What is the key to that? Exactly right. This is why I love this woman. She is not only a great choir director, she is a great scholar. It's the scripture. This is the way that we renew our minds. God's word, the more of God's truth that we put in our heart and in our mind, the more of the enemy's lies we chase away. When Jesus battled with the devil in the wilderness, remember, what was his weapon? It was the quotations from the word of God. He simply quoted out of Deuteronomy. The only words he said that were not Deuteronomy were what? Begone, Satan. That was it. But other than that, he was quoting scripture. And, and remember this. What is the only offensive weapon listed in the armor of God, the six pieces of armor? What's the only offensive weapon? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It is this. The way that we replace stinking thinking with renewed minds is to immerse ourselves in the word of God. To find out what God has to say about how to deal with anxiety, my personal favorite sin. Or how to deal with lust, or how to deal with our anger, or our greed, or our unforgiveness, or our depression. And if we are not immersing ourselves regularly in God's word, you are stealing from yourself the most potent weapon that we possess in the lifelong process of the transforming of our minds, the renewing of our minds. This is the reason that I memorize Scripture and encourage you to do the same. And please don't give me this baloney, I can't memorize stuff. You've got your social security number memorized. You've got your phone number memorized. You've got your address memorized, some of you. You could memorize if if it mattered to you. And here's why it ought to matter to you. There are times in your spiritual life when you do not know what to pray. I spoke to a woman this week who is in exactly that state. She is so beaten down, so tired, that she doesn't feel like she can put two of her own words together. And I have been in that place, haven't you? Where you're just so down, so dark, so discouraged, that you just couldn't even bring yourself to pray any of your own words. And it is in those moments when if you have stored away God's Word in your heart and in your mind, you can simply allow God's Word to pray for you. You recite God's word back to him. And what better prayer can that be than the the perfect holy word of God? And so even in these last months, I have memorized chunks of Philippians. I've memorized chunks of Romans, chunks of the Psalms. That's what I've been living in recently. And it's why you will often see that I try to memorize the text for the, pre- the sermon that I'm going to preach. That takes more effort. But I love putting it in my heart. I feel like it's more accessible, and when it's stewing and resonating inside of me, there's something that it does for me when I be- get ready to talk about it to you. And and most of all, having God's word in my heart, in my mind, is the way that it renews me when I find the devil whispering the same old stale lies of insecurity or incompetence or inadequacy that he has whispered to me all of my life. If you were to take one Bible passage and I'll give you one, you can write it down. Philippians four, four and following. Philippians four, four through seven. You know that one because we were working with it earlier. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand and so forth. If you were to take that and just write it down and keep it by you. If you were to memorize that and recite that over and over again as you drive to and from work. I just wonder, would that be more renewing to your mind than listening to talk radio, for instance? I bet it would. Ultimately, our spiritual battle is one right here on the six-inch battlefield between our ears. And if you can bring yourself to replace your abusive self-talk, I'm stupid, I'm unworthy, I'm incompetent. If you can replace that with the promises from God's Word that said you are precious, you are loved, you are gifted, you are Holy Spirit empowered, what difference do you think that will make in the transformation of your life, in the renewing of your Mind And what will it do to help protect you against the destructive, consuming lies of that sneaky enemy who wants to sneak up behind us and devour? One of the great gifts that the Lord has given to me beside himself is my beloved wife. And I love it that she loves the Lord, love it that she loves this church, love it that she is in ministry with me. And this last week we had the opportunity to minister to a couple. And they are so beleaguered they have been beaten down and both of us really believe that this is an attack of the enemy. And so at the end of our time together in a time of, of a lot of tears, we, we prayed, of course, for them. But we did more than that for we felt more was called for than simply praying for them. We resisted the devil on their behalf. We took the authority that we have in Jesus Christ and in the name of Jesus we ordered out the spirits of fear and of confusion and of depression. We ordered them to leave them alone and we invited the Holy Spirit to come and to fill their lives and fill their hearts and restore them. And I believe that as they left that day that they had a renewed sense of hope and courage and confidence in the faithfulness of the Lord in spite of all that they were facing. Resist Repent, rebuke, receive, renew. This is a battle plan that will lead you to victory over the enemy of your soul. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so as we launch our celebration of Holy Week, the week that changed eternity, let us do so with a renewed sense of power and authority that we possess because we belong to the one who has won that victory for us christus victor to him be the dominion forever and ever amen let us pray holy spirit how i long that the people who are gathered here would not simply listen to this nod their heads and then walk out the doors of amnesia and carry on with life. How I long that you would prompt us to believe more as possible because of the greatness of yourself indwelling us. How I long to be a church that is discerning and doing battle with the enemy of our souls, working to set people free, to lift people up, to bring encouragement to them when they are down and discouraged and despairing and broken. So God, would you, in this week when we remember the means by which you defeated the enemy ultimately, in this holy week, would you cause us to lift our chin and to face the enemy, to resist him in the power and authority of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.